If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to grab them, and uh, we're going to be turning to the Gospel of Luke very quickly. But if I was going to summarize everything that's going on over the next few weeks when it comes to what I want to share with you, it would be simply this, is that Jesus is for you, and uh, we have a mission, and he has given us a mission to show that Jesus is for people around us. The reality is, is that uh, many times people live, and, and Hannah actually said this, is that people believe that life is against them, that, uh, that, that life is against them, that there's nobody in their corner, and they believe that maybe the church has been against them because of past experiences they've had in church or the way that they've been brought up. And they may even believe that God is against them, that nothing seems to be right, no matter what goals that they achieve or success that they receive, that there is still something that seems to be against them. Well, we believe as a church that Jesus is 100% for you, that he's in your corner. In fact, the Bible says in Romans, Paul the Apostle said this, that if God is for you, then who can be against you? That you have God in your corner if you believe in Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower. And so as a church, we believe very much, we're very committed to the idea that Jesus is for you. And we believe in him and we believe that he's in our corner and we also believe that as people, that we are called to, uh, to give environments that people can explore that and ask questions around that. And so if you're not necessarily somebody you would say is a Jesus follower, a Christian, then we're glad you're here because this, has been, this is for you to think this through, to consider, to dwell and meditate perhaps on some of the things you're going to hear over the next few minutes about how God is for you. We believe as Christians that people will only know that Jesus is for them if we show that we are for them. And so that's why as a church, we want to make sure that we, we show Jesus as being for you. He loves you. Regardless of where you find yourself in life or regardless of whether you feel that life is against you. And so the series over the next few weeks, is really setting the foundation for us as a church and a group of people together to consider who it is that we've been called to be for. Who are the people that Jesus has placed us amongst so that we can show them the love and the care, so we can show people who are in desperate need, sometimes people who don't realize how much they need Jesus, that we we can ask who is the city, who is the people, who are neighbors who we've actually been called to. Because as a church, we've been given a mission. And it's a very clear mission, and it's a mission that, that, has, uh, that, that drives us, that we are committed to, and the mission is very simple. We've been called for the mission, this, this area that we live in, but called for the mission that Jesus has placed within us to actually be his essence. The Bible talks about us being his messenger. That is, if as you're a Christian this morning, the reason that you are here, that the reason you're on the planet, apart from all the other things that, we, that often distract us, the reason you are here is to be for people so that they can see that Jesus is for them. 
I was, uh, Sarah and I were around at uh, Linda and Laura's house uh, last Sunday and uh, we were enjoying a barbecue and, and so I was outside with Lyndon and we were chatting and uh, he did a great job, you know, because, you know, as a Brit, I always think, you know, that we've been brought up that the, you know, the, the, the barbecue is not ready until you can draw with the food. You know what I mean? That, that it, it's going to be pretty well done. But, you know, Lyndon, you did a good job. And we were talking about his house and the, and the viewer enjoying the backyard. And I asked Lyndon a question. I said, are you happy here? Do you enjoy living here? Because now Lyndon and Laura are very abruptly empty nesters. They're a whole new kind of, uh, their children have gone to school, and and it's just Lyndon and Laura, so I'm wondering, I wonder if they're going to downsize, I wonder what next stage is, and Lyndon's answer was this, this was his first answer, and he's thinking now, oh gosh, what did I say, because Laura sat right next, yes, we're moving, no, he didn't say that, he said this, this was his first thing that came out of his mouth, do you remember what you said? Okay. He said this, we have great neighbors. That was the first thing that he said. We have great neighbors. I thought it was really interesting. Because neighbors have actually built up a reputation for themselves. So much so that the first thing that Lyndon thought about was that I don't want to leave here because we have great neighbors. Now I'm sure that there are other reasons, you know, the where they live and the situation, the house. It's perfect for them. But I love the fact that their neighbors had built themselves up a good reputation. Later on as I was thinking and next morning I was journaling, I actually wrote in my journal, Am I a good neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? Dave and I were talking about neighbors this week. Am I a good neighbor? What reputation do I have as a neighbor? What reputation do you have as a neighbor? Because some of our neighbors in our neighborhood have got some interesting reputations that they have created and built up in, in my own mind. You know, there's the, the noisy neighbor, or there's the neighbor that's got really loud dogs, or there's the neighbor that gets up really, really early and starts his V12 and drives off. Then there's the neighbor that seems so suspiciously quiet, you're wondering whether there's any illegal activity going on in that house. What kind of neighbor are you? What's your neighborhood like? We actually live in a really great neighbor, and our neighbors are, are wonderful. They are. I actually have to race one of my neighbors in the winter to clear our front pathway because he does it so faithfully. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm like, quick, quick, Ted's out. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We're pulling stuff on because we have great neighbors. That's their reputation. They care. They serve. They're mindful. What's our reputation as neighbors here in the South as a church? And what's your reputation as a neighbor where you live? You see, the Bible says really clearly that we are called to love our neighbor. We're called to love our neighbor. In fact, not only does the Bible say that we're to love our neighbor, and I'm going to show you this in a second, it says this, that your life fulfillment and purpose is linked to how well you love your neighbor. If you want to if you want to fulfill the design that we've all been called to this this thing that called life that we know that there's so much more than what we see and feel. If you really want to feel purpose and fulfilled and full of joy, the Bible speaks to you loving your neighbor. But let me let me show you in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 verse 25. 
Let's just uh, have a look here and I can show you what I mean. Verse 25, it says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up. This is a lawyer to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? See, he's asking a life purpose question. This isn't a life, you know, uh, like just the day-to-day. This is, this is purpose. This is fulfillment. This is eternity. This is a big question. Verse 26, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? And the man said, you must, I'm sure he was very pleased that he was able to answer because this man is likely to have learnt the Bible, for certainly the first five books of the Bible, off by heart. He's memorized this Bible, so he knows how to answer this. The man answered and said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and, here we go, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as a culture, we have no problem with loving ourselves. I know that's something that you may hear differently, that you need to learn to love yourself. Trust me, as a culture, we love ourselves. You just need to go on social media for a little while and see the amount of selfies and and, and, and everything else. We really have high regard for ourselves. So this man says that you must love our neighbor as ourselves. So here's the key first, right 26, right at the end there, 28. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. You see, when the New Testament talks about life, it's actually not just living biologically, it's life. My beautiful daughter Zoe Her name Zoe is the Greek word for life. Zoe life. It literally means this. And she has fulfilled this and still does. It means to jump up, shout for joy. It actually also means to spin around. That's life. See, in John 10.10, it says that you might have life and life to the full. Zoe life. And so when Jesus says, you do these two things, love God, love your neighbor, you are going to experience life. Not just life. But life, joy, fulfillment. I wonder how many of us would have said this. In order for me to fully enjoy life, I need to love my neighbor more. That is not something we would necessarily link. Jesus does. He says this, if you want to thrive, I like that word, I've I've already used that word this morning with Ed and Rebecca and their beautiful kids. As parents, we want to teach our children to thrive. If you want to thrive in life, then you need to love your neighbor. Look what Jeremiah says in the Old Testament. He said this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if it thrives, then you will prosper. If you seek the thriving of your neighbor, then you will thrive. If, you, if we as a church seek the prosperity of our city, 
Prosperity doesn't just mean cash, it means in every aspect. Prosper in every way, the Bible says. If we seek that, pray for it, chase after it, then we will find our own life in that. So as a church, we need to be asking questions. How do we seek the welfare of our city? How do we seek the welfare of our neighborhoods? How do we seek the welfare of our neighbors? But also, as an individual, I need to ask the question, how do I seek the welfare of my neighbor? Because in that, not that they become projects, because you can't really love and seek somebody to thrive if they just become a project, but genuine care, service, and love and prayer then I will actually find life in that. This church will find life in that. So it actually, though, causes us to ask a question. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? So, in verse 29, it says, The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? This is what Dave... McLean and I were chatting about this week. Who is neighbor? Because our neighborhoods look different, don't they? I still remember the time in Britain where the neighbors, it it was not uncommon for people to to stand on the front doorstep and chat with their neighbor. And, and, you know, you brought your kids up together and you went to school together. and, and, And that's the way maybe, and I wasn't here as a child in Canada, but from talking with you, it's exactly the same. The community, the neighborhoods now seem to have closed their doors. It's like if you hear a knock on the door... You go, okay, who's here to kill me? Because this isn't good. Like, who can this be? Like, why, why are they knocking on my door? Why didn't, they, why didn't they phone me? Actually, no, forget phoning. Why didn't they text me? Because this, this is strange. Or you do this, oh, somebody at the door. Oh, okay, fine. You know, we don't jump up excited and run to the door because we think we're going to have community. We kind of go, oh, you, you go and answer it. I'll just, I'll just wait around the corner. Come on, how many of you do that? I know I do. Oh, is it just me? Thanks, guys. Not being very good neighbors. But who is our neighbor? Here's what the Bible says your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the person that you do life with. Who is it that you do life with? Who is it that is beside you? Who is it in your workplace? They are your neighbor. Who is the person that you meet, it seems to be bumping into all the time at the coffee shop? They are your neighbor. Who is the person who lives next to you? Absolutely is your neighbor. But who is it that you regularly do life with? That is your neighbor. And see, Jesus goes on to prove that. In verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. So he's answering the question, who is my neighbor? He answers with a story, a very well-known story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him. I want you to notice those two words, half dead beside the road. Half dead beside the road. I want to say something to you that might shock you but I want to say it carefully and lovingly, but with sincerity. There are many people living in our neighborhoods today, in even some of the richest parts of Kelowna, who are on the side of the road half dead. They're on the side of the road of life half dead. That they feel life is against them. That they feel life is stacked up against them. 
Because I've seen things that are half dead. I've had the experience of, of hitting deer in the road and seeing it half dead. I, I've caught animals using my fence. It's a long story. And, and on the way to church, and they're kind of hanging on my fence, another deer. It's a long story. Half dead. Here's the thing with things. Some of you have seen not just animals, but people who are half dead. Here's the thing with something that's half dead. They're desperate. They're helpless. They're hopeless. They're lonely. They're vulnerable. They desperately need our help. There's a a resignation. This is the way it is. Imagine this man on the side of the road, half dead. Jesus uses those words specifically to describe the man's situation. And I want to say to you, I really truly believe this as a pastor, as somebody who experiences this each week, and for many of you who have have jobs that see this or have lives that see this, that our city is filled with people who are vulnerable, they're helpless, they're lonely, they're desperate, and they are, I want to carefully say it, but I believe it's true, are half dead, that they believe that life is against them. They're living life. But not life to the full. They feel like life has robbed them. That their relationships are breaking apart. That their friendships are non-existent. That their their heart, it's just, it's like life is against them. Marriages are sinking while bank accounts are buoyant. It's unbelievable the number of marriages that break apart in our city. There's toys in the garage, and yet there is an emptiness in life. And I'm talking about the mission, which is why this series is called For the Mission. There are people who are connected, very much connected online, and yet lonely and desperate for relationships in life. There are people who look great on the inside while feeling desperately sad and lonely and half dead on the inside with pain and confusion that there are people in our city who are on good money but have found that possessions and power and people and position have actually not fulfilled the feeling that they know needs to be fulfilled that that life and life to the full is not found in those things and yet we find ourselves as a culture constantly looking to the next thing in the hope that that will bring life and yet then we still find that actually no there's more there's more that life can still be against you and yet still feel very blessed and so as a church and as an individual and as a Christian and I want you to know this if you don't know Jesus this morning if you're just searching through faith I want to tell you that Jesus is for you marriages can thrive kids can be safe they can be brought up in in families that point them in the right direction which is why we dedicated this beautiful family this morning we believe that we see life transformed by Jesus all the time We believe that Jesus is the answer. And Christian friend, we believe 100% that you are empowered with that answer. That you are a messenger of that answer. That when you go into your world and you surround yourself with your neighbors, that those people, some of them, are half dead. And then we look. And they're looking for the answer. 
And the great news is, is that we have that answer. We've heard this morning from, that from Hannah that, that we have that answer. There's a hope. She said, I look at my co-workers and, and I wonder how they, I'm paraphrasing, but how they do life. And I realize that I have Jesus. I have Jesus and he is for you. He is for us. I wonder whether you know that this morning. See, God is doing amazing things in this church. And so each week, or at least every other week, you're going to hear a South story. And the fun part is this, is that I asked Wendy, she's our chief story finder, I think that was the title that we, uh, we officially gave her, to ask people to come and share. And, and the, the framework that we, we gave them is, is, is how, what was the question I gave you, Wendy? You remember how Jesus impacts them how what how how Jesus impacts your life because the reality is we all have stories and what I loved about what Hannah said was when she first got asked that question she was like oh I don't know how to answer that but with some consideration she was able to stand up here and go wow actually I have a story this is how Jesus impacts my life we have those stories people need to hear those stories you and I need to hear those stories, but those stories need to be heard from a, in a culture that feels half dead. We have that. So they feel like life is against them. But the good news is that every one of us has been purposely placed. You have been placed on purpose in your neighborhood. Whatever your hood looks like, you've been purposely placed. Because that story that Christ has given you through his transformation of your life, Christian friend, can impact for eternity somebody else's life. You are that, and forgive me for putting it this way, but it's true, you are that powerful. Not your own power, but the power of Jesus in you and the story that he has given you is that powerful. It's that powerful. And just like Hannah said, with a little thought, you go, wow, actually, that's a lot. I have a big story to tell. The slight panic on all these wonderful people is I asked Wendy, let them know that they've got three minutes. <gasps> three minutes? I need, I need way longer than that to tell my story. Actually, sometimes you only get three minutes. You only get three minutes. Can we in three minutes communicate our story to somebody? No, you don't need to walk them down the, you know, the Romans road and, and draw bridges with things that Jesus and God. You don't need that. They just need to hear why you need Jesus. Not why they need Jesus, but why do you need Jesus? Why do you need Jesus? That's our story. That's our story. People need us now more than ever. And Jesus goes on and he describes three people. By chance, a priest came along. This is a pastor. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. That verse will preach, but I'm not going to preach that right now. He crossed over, away from the half-dead individual. Because he knew that by touching him, he actually would be affected and, and cursed, they believe. 
then a temple assistant, there's a, a Levite, this is somebody who serves the church, this is a, somebody who volunteers in church, somebody who leads worship in church. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say, this is Jesus now saying to this lawyer, which of you would say that you would say was a neighbor to the man who attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus just drops his truth bomb. You go do the same. You go do the same. And as I prayed this morning, that's what's resonated in my heart, South friends, South family. Let's go do the same. Let's go into our world and share the story that Jesus has given us in our own words. Because there are people half dead on the side of the road who feel like life is against them and yet Jesus is for them. And the way that they're going to find that out is by finding out that we are for them, that we are going to cross the road. Now, why would Jesus say this? Because the reality is this. He crossed the road for us. He crossed the road. He crossed the divide. He came from heaven to earth and lived the life. He actually gave up his position in heaven and came to earth as a small baby, which we're going to start celebrating in just a few weeks. Christmas is on its way. Jared has actually already started the countdown about five or six weeks ago. I saw it on Facebook. That Jesus crossed the divide. He crossed the road. Because I, friends, listen, I was the one half dead on the side of the road. I was the one that thought that I had life altogether. If I could just get that next thing, if I could just get that degree, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that position, if I could just get that pay rise, if I could just move and get out of this house and go there, if I could get a different partner, if I could get a different wife, if I could get a different husband, all these different reasons that we think are actually going to fix our problem while we're laid in desperation at the side of the road. Jesus walked to me. And he chose me. And he said, I'll die for you. That all those choices, all that sin, all that desperation that is rooted in the choices that you have made, that actually you are setting yourself up as your own answer in pride, all that sin, all that shame, all that guilt, I will take from you. I will place it upon myself and I will die on that cross and it will die with me. But then it doesn't end there. He crossed the road called death and came back to life and in life he then gave me that life zoe life jump up spin around shout for joy life is mine to enjoy then he says this glenn go cross the road go cross the road will it mean that you have to cross a divide this samaritan should not have been anywhere near this dead person, this half-dead person, because 
Traditionally, it's very difficult for me to describe the divide between the Samaritan and the person who's half dead. But they should not have been anywhere near them. But he crossed the road. He took the risk in order to serve this person, to show. And this was Jesus' point. Show people the love of Jesus. And in that, they will see him. They will see him. Go do the same. Go do the same. So how do we cross the road? I want to pull this together just by giving you very quickly four things. And I hope that you've actually got notes that I put in your bulletin and and, uh, hopefully you can jot some of these down. But how do we cross the road? How do we actually practically move towards showing people how much Jesus is for them? Well, as a church, very simply, we... We gather and we scatter. We gather on a Sunday and then we scatter in the week. Gathering, we want to make sure that we do everything we can to make our guests, those people who are unchurched, those people who don't know Jesus, feel welcome. It's amazing how quickly as Christians we don't see what other people see. And so we want to look at things. We want to see how we can do everything we can to make this a place for people, showing them that they are expected and they're accepted, and this church is for them, that we want to love them and serve them so that they can see in us that Jesus loves them and cross the road for them. And so we're doing things slightly differently. Some of them you won't even notice, but our teams have been working hard over the last few weeks, and I'm so grateful for our South Lead team, and our Connection team, and our Welcome team, and Coffee Bar team, and Kids Church team, and it just goes on and on that we're all moving in the same direction to make our gathering a place where you feel comfortable to bring your unchurched friends, a place where you know that they're going to be welcomed, and they're not going to be wildly confused but they're actually going to feel like wow this feels good this feels like a place i should be in tell me more about jesus and then we scatter we scatter into our homes and we have community groups and we we invite people into our homes sit around our kitchen tables so we can get a little bit more intimate in in conversation that we look for ways that we can pray for them and care for our neighbors You see, people will only know that Jesus is for them if they see that we are for them. So we gather and we show them and then we scatter and we show them. And that looks like whether you're in a coffee bar or your kitchen table, we show people that we care for them. We want to cross the road for them. So I've got four questions. Sorry, four things to ask you. First one is this. How can, actually, that's not the question. That's, that's, that's the overriding question. How can you join us in this? The first question is this. Who are you for? Who are you for? I, I, I want us as a church, Christians, I want you to prayerfully consider four people or four families, and you can write them down. I'd encourage you to write them down, that you're going to pray for and you're going to share the South with. So, I mean, I could preach on this, but I just want to get a little, um, I want to be very real for you. Part of the challenge that we have as a Christian culture is that we don't have four people in our lives that don't know Jesus. That we surround ourselves with Christians. And that's wonderful. 
And I love that. We encourage community. But we're also to be out in our neighborhoods with people who don't know Jesus because they need to know Jesus that is the He that is for them. So that's a challenge in itself. And I'm not going to push you right now to write those four people down. But I do want you to consider whether you can write four people down. And if you can't write four people down, maybe look in ways that you can position yourself. Because you have been purposely placed just for that. You've been placed on purpose. Who are your neighbors? Four people. Who are your four? So that you can enjoy friendship with them. Not as projects, but as, as people that you can love and care and serve and pray for. So then you can share your story with them. I, I keep looking back because the TV's not working. I'm not sure, and I'm controlling it. So you think, why does he keep looking back there? So you can share your story. They need to hear why you needed Jesus, not why they need Jesus. That might come later. But people are fascinated by Jesus. I've said the name Jesus so many times in this sermon because Jesus, his name is powerful and I believe that he is for us. And Jesus has given you a story that you can share. So you can pray for them. So you can pray for them. And then you can finally share the South with them. Share your community with them. Invite them on a Sunday. You've, you've been given these invite cards. Oh, I can't pick it up. There you go. Put some of these in your wallet, in your, in your purse. So you can invite people. You're invited. And look what it says on the back. Please join me at Willow Park Church South. Here's some fascinating, and I think I've said this before, but huge, like it was in the high 80s. I can't remember exactly because people... Pete Hanberg remembers exactly all my numbers, so it's in the high 80s. I think it was 87, 88, but I might be wrong. Maybe Peter will tell me later. But yeah, <laughs> that, that if you invite somebody, it says this, that this, this, this study was shown that uh, in the high 80s percent, Tidges, that, how much was it? 87, thank you, that sounds right. 87%, it was Lifeway, so you can look it up yourself. 87% of people said that they would be willing to come to church with somebody, uh, with a friend of theirs. That dramatically dropped when the question was posed differently when they said, I will meet you at church. Because those doors, some people believe church is against them. But you meet somebody before church and bring them with you? Join me at church next week. Take these. And friends, I say this lovingly as a pastor, but if you're struggling and go, man, I don't know if I know anybody that I can give this to, that's something for you to think about and pray about. Something for you to think about and pray about. Because you literally could change someone's eternity by sharing your story and sharing your church. Then, we give them a great view of Jesus. We were at... um, Russ and Sue Wilson's house a couple of weeks ago for some dinner and they did this beautiful thing and it just blessed us. They had this table in front of an amazing view and as we went over to the table to eat, Russ said this, you sit there so you can enjoy the view and then they sat with their backs to the view. See, they've already enjoyed the view 
They wanted their guests to enjoy the view. And so they were willing to sit with their, feet, with their backs to the view so we could enjoy the view. That's a great picture of how we need to be as a church that we can put our backs to, that we can take a hit, if you like, so that people can enjoy a great view. What does that look like? Well, it could be getting here a little bit earlier, sitting nearer the front, so that we can give our guests a great experience at the beginning at 10 a.m. and they can sit there in the back because maybe they don't want to sit right at the front. It can look like us joining a team, the welcome team, the dream team, the team that, that, that welcomes people on Sunday morning and says, great that you're here, you can join that team. And then another really simple way is that you can take five minutes at the end of a service to go and talk to somebody who maybe you've never met before. These are all just simple ways that we can give somebody a great view of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go through those really quickly. Oh, patience as well. That's good as we try different things. City serve. I'm just going to throw that up really quickly, but that's something that's going to come along as to ways that we can practically serve our city. And then finally, oh, can I go back? One big Sunday. One big Sunday. One big Sunday, really quickly, is something you're going to hear about a lot over the next few weeks. I'm going to pull this to a close. There are certain times in our calendar where people naturally go towards church, like Christmas Eve, um, Easter Sunday. So what we want to do as a church is we want to do an all-out big push on certain Sundays and certain times of the year where you, Church South family, can actually invite your friends to come, that we are going to equip you well to invite them to come and experience Big Sunday. Big Sunday. We're going to give them the best view we possibly can. And the first one is, oh, that's kind of a strange shape, but October 14th, this is Fall Fun Day. This is for the kids especially, uh, where we're going to do Nicole and Leishan are busy uh, working on this. So guys, if you have children, not only is this for you, but this is also for your neighbors. And so you're going to get postcards in the next week or two to give them to your four and encourage them to come. Maybe you don't have kids. Well, on the same Sunday, we're going to have a new series start called FAQ. So you'll come in and we'll enjoy Sunday and then the kids will go and enjoy the full fun day and you can connect with them later on. But FAQ, frequently asked questions about God and faith. Questions like, well, what about the Bible? Does God even exist? What about science and God? You know, what about exclusivity? Is Christianity really the only way? Is Jesus really the Son of God, or was he just a historical figure? These big questions that people are asking about faith and God, we're going to spend six weeks looking at them. This is a perfect time for you to invite your friends to that you are actually having these conversations about, and we have information to give you next week on that as well. So, here's what you're seeing. These are practical ways as a church that we're driving towards this beautiful idea that we want to walk across the road, give people the best view of Jesus, show that we are for them so they can see that Jesus is for them and that we all have a story that we can share. Who are you for? Who are the four people you're going to join me on September 24th for Willow on Prayer in there? Who are those four that you're going to bring in your mind to pray for? 
and invite and encourage. Because friends, we have a community who desperately needs to know that life is not against them, that Jesus is for them. And we have the answer. I'm excited about what God is going to do because I'm truly believing that we're going to see people come and be transformed by Jesus Christ. Marriages transformed and families transformed and kids transformed. Jobs and businesses transformed because he is that powerful and he lives in you and me. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing and we're going to take up our offering. And this is a good time for us to take our offering because the reality is, is that as we give money into Willow Park Church, your money is going directly to what I'm describing for the people, for Jesus Christ. And so let's pray and let's worship. Let's believe, let's declare as we worship. Maybe we could stand and I've given you a lot of information this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, there's a lot going on. And Lord, as we heard from Hannah, we don't want to just be running around like Martha. We want to sit at your feet. And we want to listen. Lord, we want to reflect. And we want to thank you that you are for us. That you're for this church and the mission. And Lord, I pray even now as we worship together and as we celebrate that God, that you would speak to us. That Lord, I pray you would speak to us about who our four are. Speak to us, Lord, about how we can best serve you and serve our neighbors. Lord, I pray more than that for those in this room who perhaps feel that life is against them. That you are against them. That their experience of God and the church has not been what you're about. Lord, I pray that they would just in these moments know that you are for them, that you're in their corner, you're calling them, that you love them. You died for them. And then you lived and you are alive for them. Lord, thank you for your promise that if you are for us, then who or what could be against us? Hallelujah. 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 Amen.